0: It's a blessing to be here this evening, and I'm looking forward to uh, worshiping with you all here this evening. A couple of months ago, I was reading through the book of Second Chronicles, and I came across um, what I thought was a pretty fascinating part of Scripture. Um, I think um, New Testament communion and Old Testament Passover are always connected. Um, under the law, the Israelites celebrated the Passover, and they remembered their deliverance from Egypt. You know, the blood of the lamb was on the doorpost and it provided deliverance for them. Um, they looked forward to when Messiah would come and deliver them. And now we observe communion and we remember um, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, for me. The blood that atoned for my sins so that I can be free. Um, and the communion meal that Jesus shared with his disciples is uh, was basically a Passover meal, um, with a little bit of a twist to it. So we come to communion. And I'm I'm always intrigued with Passover um, celebration that that the Jews observed. What can we learn from them? Um, today, tonight we want to look at uh, a very special Passover celebration that took place during King Hezekiah's reign. Um, Hezekiah was the king of Judah um, during the time when the kingdoms were divided. Um, Hezekiah's father was Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz was the king before Hezekiah. He was a very wicked man, um, and he followed the wicked kings of Israel in sacrificing to Baal. Um, He even adopted um, the evil practices of the pagan kings and nations around them. He did not follow the Lord. So because of that, the Lord delivered Judah into the hands of the king of Syria who carried many people into captivity in Damascus. And after that, Israel also invaded Judah. And the Bible tells us that in one day, they killed 120,000 of Judah's fighting men. And they carried away captives. And they were um, instructed to return those captives um, back to to Judah. But it was a very um, dark time for Um, the people living in Judah and Jerusalem. Ahaz, um, as a result of being overthrown by the king of um, Damascus, the Assyrians, in his mind, uh, the Assyrian god was more powerful than the god of Judah because he had been overthrown, and so he began to worship the gods of Damascus, of Syria. One of, the, one of the blatant acts of wickedness that Ahaz participated in was destroying the articles of the temple of God and shutting the doors of the temple. This was Hezekiah's father, Ahaz. He was a wicked man. And I want to jump into the story in Second Chronicles 29, and I'm going to read the first 10 verses. And I'll let you catch up when you get there. 2 Chronicles 29. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old, and he reigned 9 and 20 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in priests and Levites and gathered them together into the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves, and sanctify the house of the Lord of your fathers, and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed, and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs." Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch, and put out the lamps, and have not burned incense, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as ye see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that ye may minister unto him and burn incense. So the priests and the Levites gathered, and they sanctified themselves, and they went into the temple, and they brought out all the uncleanness that Ahaz had put in there. And they, they brought it out and they threw it into the Kidron Valley. It took them eight days to clean up to the porch of the temple and another eight days to completely clean the temple. Sixteen days. And it says that they completed this work on the 16th day of the first month. So not only did Hezekiah start in the first year of his reign to cleanse the temple, not only did he start in the first month of the first year, he started on the first day of the first month of the first year. This was priority number one for Hezekiah. His goal and his objective was to turn back to God and worship him, and he didn't waste one day. So on the seventeenth, on the seventeenth day, Hezekiah gathered the leaders and they went to the temple and they offered the necessary animals as sacrifices on the altar. They sprinkled the blood on the altar to make atonement and they offered the goats as sin offering for the people. The priests killed the animals and they made reconciliation between the people and God. After this, Hezekiah organized the musicians and the trumpeters and so that when they began to sacrifice, they were also worshiping singing the song of the Lord, just as David had instructed them many generations before this. When they were all finished, the king and all that were present with him bowed in worship to the one true God. So after they consecrated themselves and the temple, they were now ready to accept sacrifices of the people. And the people brought so many animal sacrifices that the priests were overwhelmed with the work. They could not manage the work, and so all the Levites pitched in and helped them with the sacrifices. And in verse 36, it says, Hezekiah rejoiced, and all the people that God had prepared the people, for the thing was done suddenly. So they made plans to hold the Passover in the second month. It wasn't the correct time to hold the Passover, but they were trying to get this place cleaned out, the wickedness and filth removed, and they wanted to quickly hold the Passover, They were in a hurry because they were running behind schedule and they didn't get to hold the Passover at the prescribed time. It was an imperfect Passover. So um, Hezekiah was not yet done. He made a decree and invited all of Israel and Judah, as well as Ephraim and Manasseh from Dan to Beersheba. He sent this message. CHAPTER thirty verse one. Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and be not like your fathers, and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as ye see. Now be not now be ye not stiff necked, as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord, And enter his sanctuary, which he hath sanctified forever. And serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that lead them captive. So that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away his face from you if you return unto him. Unfortunately the people of Israel and Ephraim and Manasseh and Zebulun laughed and mocked at the invitation that King Hezekiah gave them. But some of them, it says, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. And they joined Judah, who had with one heart returned to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now many of the people that came All of them participated in the Passover. Many of them were not cleansed according to the purification of the temple. They were in such a rush to do this that many of them did not have time to be cleansed. Something came upon these uncleansed people. It doesn't say what it was, but verse 18 of chapter 30 says that Hezekiah prayed for the people. And this is what he said: The good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord God heart, and the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah, and he healed the people. So the whole assembly kept the Passover for seven days, and then they agreed to go seven more days. Thousands and thousands of burnt offerings, and you can read the numbers there. Sin offerings, worship and prayer, and returning to the Lord, rejoicing that He had accepted the offerings and that He had healed them. And it says that since the time of Solomon, there had never been a greater Passover than Hezekiah's Passover. Verse 27 of chapter 30 says, Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place even unto heaven. They were now reconnected with the God of heaven. In chapter 31, we, we learned that this change of heart, this change within, from wayward idolatry back to worshipers of God, affected their actions. As they left the Passover, there was great revival. There had been great revival at the Passover. They were reconnected to God, the one true God. And they went throughout the whole land, destroying the images, the groves, the high places, and everything related to the foreign gods. They utterly destroyed them, and they went home. And in 2 Kings 18.4, it says that Hezekiah even destroyed the bronze serpent that Moses had made and lifted up in the wilderness. Because up until this point, they were offering burnt offerings to that serpent. Burnt incense to that that serpent. Also, the king appointed portions of his flocks and his herds for sacrifices on festivals and Sabbaths and for morning and evening burnt offerings. He commanded the people living in Jerusalem to provide for the priest's and the Levites so that they could concentrate on the law of the Lord. And as soon as the people were given these instructions, they began bringing tithes, fruits, and offerings, gifts. They brought so much that the passage there, if you read it, it just describes it as heaps. They brought heaps and more heaps, and then they began to lay the, the foundation of the heaps, and they just piled the stuff up, all this stuff that people brought. For offerings. They brought willingly. This was the first thing that Hezekiah did when he became king. There's a couple other very fascinating feats that Hezekiah um, did that we won't talk about. Um, But this is the first thing. This was priority number one. This was what was important to Hezekiah. What a beautiful revival these folks had turning to the Lord and worshiping the God. Almighty. Hezekiah's number one priority was to cleanse the temple. He admitted to the fact that they had forsaken the Lord. He took appropriate action of removing the vileness from the temple, and he replaced what was unholy with what was holy and cleansed and sanctified. The temple, which had previously been, during his father's reign, a storage facility for filthiness, was cleansed and was filled with appropriate ornaments of worship. Now, we do not live in the same dispensation that Hezekiah lived in. Christ has come, and with his coming, he has fulfilled the law. And he has given to us the Holy Spirit. He established the church and the body of Christ. He removed the partition, like we learned about in Sunday school, and we are brought together, all believers, Jews and Gentiles, under Jesus Christ. So God no longer dwells in a structure as he did in those days. He dwells within us. And I'm going to read um, a portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that describes... Um, in our current day, where God dwells. And I'll begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. Now therefore, is, now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because you go to law one with another. Why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient." All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall become one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Just like Hezekiah understood the importance of cleansing the temple and throwing the rubbish into the Kidron Valley, we too must cleanse our temples, our bodies from wickedness and sin. Paul spells this out pretty clearly in the passage that we just read. Just like the people of Judah in Hezekiah's day, who were given over to captivity and bondage because they walked away from God, when we serve self and sin, we too are captives of that sin and are in bondage and in great need of deliverance. And when the Holy Spirit lives within our body, it affects that body in a positive way. And if your body is controlled by the Spirit, you will not live and dwell in unrighteousness. I'm so blessed to see Hezekiah uh, recognize that the efforts of um, sanctification and cleansing were insufficient. He recognized that. And when it came right down to it, he understood that all these temple procedures, um, the sacrifices, the cleansing, the rituals, they all pointed to the Lamb, Who would one day come? So when they failed in their procedures, he prayed to the Lord and the Lord healed them. Hezekiah knew that the person of the Passover, the person the Passover pointed to, was more important than the procedures of the Passover. This did not keep him from pursuing holy living, but it gave him a clear path of repentance when they failed. He cried out to the Lord and the Lord healed them. I'm also blessed by the response of the people. When revived, they went to work to ensure the false gods were destroyed, and they also gave gifts to the Lord and to the temple work. Repentance will always produce holy living and holy giving. You can't repent and continue to flounder in sin, and you can't repent and continue in selfishness. Repentance looks like the prodigal son who came back to the father and would have been perfectly satis- satisfied to be his slave. He would do whatever the father required. When you meet Jesus, his directive today is the same as it was when he was here on earth. Come and follow me. And if you say yes, then housecleaning begins and gratefulness becomes a result. If you say no to the invitation to follow Jesus, then you continue in your sin, and there is no hope and no salvation apart from our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm blessed by Hezekiah's prayer. Here was Hezekiah living under the law, and so he needed to make atonement in a prescribed way. And this was not his idea. This was not a man made idea. This was God's commandment to them to offer these sacrifices as a way for their sin to be atoned for. This was God's way, it was his idea. But it didn't seem like Hezekiah let that deter him from reaching forward to grace. It's almost as if he understood what was going to be experienced through Christ in the future. And he he reached for it and he got a hold of it. He got a little bit of a preview. That great grace that Christ would one day bring. The holy connection to the Father. And, and we can read of other stories. We, we sang the song from King David who, who pled with God not to take the Holy Spirit from him. And it seems like he was more filled with the Holy Spirit than the people around him. It seems like he was one of those men that was living in in that old dispensation, but reached forward to a future one where there was grace and the Holy Spirit was present. It's fascinating to me. Hezekiah somehow seems to see beyond the law, and while clearly appreciating and obeying it as best he could, he understood that it was not the sacrifices that saved, but it was the Lord So the question that I have for myself, the challenge that I have for myself, and I honestly don't know if this will make sense to you all or not, it's kind of personal to me as I um, came across this scripture a couple of months ago. The question I have for myself is, is, am I stuck in this dispensation of grace? It's a dumb question sounds dumb, feels dumb. Now we understand that the law served for a time until Christ came and fulfilled it. And with that, he ushered in the age of grace. The gift of the Holy Spirit was given to all who believe. And we, we know that there is coming a day when the church will be taken out of the world. And with it will come a new age, a new life for the believer. A new dispensation. Revelation 19. I'm going to read a portion of Revelation chapter 19. And after these things, and again, I'm thinking about a new dispensation that's coming. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great war war, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude And as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These things are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he saith unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In chapter 20, um, the devil and sin and those whose names are not written in the book of life Listen to this next part. He said unto me, It is done. Does that ring a bell? It is finished. It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is athirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That is the victory that is coming at the final age. I already alluded to the fact that that phrase, it is finished, or it is done, is of course repeated um, by Jesus several times. John 19.28, on the cross, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished and that Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it up upon Hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And Revelation, the scripture we just read, um, it again talks about thirst and being done. He said, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. The first time, he said, it is finished. The final sacrifice had been made. There was no more need for sacrifice. It was done. He died once for all. The time for sacrifice is ended. The second time, he said, it is done, is the final victory has been won, and there's no more need for war. This victory is eternal, the age of grace is ended. Sin is obliterated. It is finally judged. And when sin is removed, there's no need for grace. Complete righteousness, the absence of sin, and being in the presence of God Almighty to worship our King of kings and Lord of lords. The final age is one of perfect Victory, complete, total victory. Sometimes I feel that I'm stuck on grace to the point that I'm not able to reach forward to victory. God does not reach out to us in grace so that we can have just enough grace to slide into heaven as the door is slamming shut. He gives us grace so that we can live in victory over sin. So that we can stretch toward what is coming and not limit ourselves to what is now. As I've observed my life, I see times where I'm satisfied with my failure because grace is abundant and it's available and it's free. But I should be reaching forward and grabbing a hold of victory that is in Christ. Hezekiah's Passover reminds me that we should be reaching forward. Just as he reached from the law forward into grace, I too should be reaching from grace forward to victory. I can't imagine a time where we don't need grace. That seems impossible. But when there is no more sin, when there is no more death, when there is not even opportunity to sin, then we no longer need grace. We are in the presence of Christ, forever secured and at home with Him. What a day that will be. I believe that I personally need to reach forward victory. These communion emblems, the bread and the juice, they remind us of what Christ gave to make grace possible for us. He gave his very life, and Scripture says that it pleased the Father to crush him. Jesus the perfect son of God took my sin on the cross and there God unleashed his wrath against my sin on Jesus and because Jesus died in my place I have been given all the blessing that only Christ deserves when Jesus says come and follow me you must say yes because there is no one else to save you. Salvation is only through the blood of Christ that was poured out for you and for me. To Christ who bled and died for me, I will ever bend the knee. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the wonderful gift of grace the love and the compassion the the commitment you made to go to the cross for me the final atonement and sacrifice necessary to present me and us together faultless before the father thank you that you accepted the crushing of the father for my sin you allowed your body to be crushed because you saw forward to my sin and in love you allowed me to receive that instead of being judged. I pray, Lord, that we would learn from the story of Hezekiah um, understanding that all of our preparations and all of our attempts to cleanse and sanctify come up short. And we we truly need to rely and cry out to you for healing. And you will heal us. And I pray that you would somehow help us to reach forward from where we are now and gain a better understanding of the reality that we have waiting for us in Christ, the victor. Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords the sovereign God of the universe, the one who reigns and rules supreme and will one day wipe out sin and death from our presence. and We will be forever with the Lord. As we partake in, in communion tonight, I pray that you would heal us. May the Lord God pardon all who seek Him and may you heal us like you did the people in Hezekiah's day.